0: Good morning, Seacoast Church. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Asheville, I don't think Mount Pleasant is awake today yet. How's everyone doing in the house of the Lord today? Yeah, can we welcome everyone who's tuning in online one more time? Can we give it up for everyone who's tuning in online here at Mount Pleasant? So glad that you're joining us today from Indonesia, which I learned about last week, which is insane, to Michigan, to even that country called New Jersey. We're glad that you're tuning in online. Uh, We're glad that you're tuning in from Asheville, that we're one church, multiple locations. Even in McClellanville, God is on the move. And I thought that today we could take a moment to pray and invite God into our hearts into what we're about to do by reading his word, but also today, September 11th, and I'd love to take a moment to pray for our country. So if you could stand to your feet, we're gonna take a moment to pray at all our locations, North Charleston, get on your feet, even in Irmo, get on your feet. Say this, repeat this out to me, I have power. Say it this way, I've got the power. I promise this isn't a Tony Robbins motivational speech, but Jesus, before he went to heaven, he said all authority and power has been given to him. And then he said that we should go and make disciples. And then he said that he'd be with us. So because he's with us, we've got power. And it's a really messed up thing when someone has power, but they do not use it. And right now. Today is a crazy day for our nation, because 21 years ago, we were attacked and it forever changed the world. And so let's take a moment to pray for our country. Grab the hand of the person next to you if you feel comfortable. And even if you don't, grab the hand of the person next to you. (laughs) And if they don't have a ring and you don't have a ring, you know, (laughs) miracles can happen by spring. Come on, somebody. Uh. Father, we come into your presence and we're grateful that we can laugh. We're grateful that we can cry out to you. We're grateful that we can even take some time to just mourn uh, what was taken from us 21 years ago. It's such a clear reminder that what we believe matters because of a few hate filled men. Our world was forever changed. You came to the earth to pay the price for our sins so we could be filled with your hope and change the world. Father, would you bring revival in our world? We know, Lord God, that politics cannot fix this world. We know, Lord God, that Hollywood cannot fix this world. Financial blessings cannot fix this world, but it is your love and it is your light. That should be flowing through us. We ask you, Lord God, that you'll teach us how to be your light. We ask you, Lord God, that you'll be with our nation today. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. before you take a seat, tell your neighbor, I got the power. <laughs> I got the power. Bam, 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 bam. Um, hey, today's also. A good day, because our lead pastor, Pastor Josh Sherratt, it's his birthday today. That's pretty awesome. And my wife's birthday is September 11th. So that's cool. She's here. She showed up. That's great. Glad you showed up to church today. Um, Hope you come back sometime. Uh, Power. I learned something uh, a few months ago from a really powerful person. I would really love to insert a name drop right now, but one of my pet peeves in my life is when I hear people name drop. So I'm like, I'm not going to do it. But this really powerful person, I got to meet with them a few months ago, and they told me something I had never thought about before, but makes total sense. And they were sharing about primary identifiers, that everyone in this room has primary ways you identify yourself. So some of us identify ourselves as business people. So whenever I preach, I try to say something like, hey, you know, in the corporate world, and I know for some of you in the room, you don't listen until someone says something about work, and then you clue in. Uh, You may identify yourself as a parent. So if I'm I'm preaching or teaching, sometimes I'll say, hey, as a dad of four, and some of you kind of clue in because it's like parent. Some of you identify as retired, and I don't talk to retired people because y'all are living in the glory land. So I try to exclude (laughs) y'all. Some of you identify yourself as grandparent. Some of you identify yourself as a male, a female, black, white. We, We all have these things that we primarily identify ourselves. And this leader was getting to the point that as believers, when we do not identify ourselves primarily as Christian, then we are depriving ourselves of real power. When you think about how you define yourself, do you identify yourself as a powerful person? I, 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 I don't. I, I, I've been telling you all for a while. I don't do CrossFit. I survive CrossFit. And um, uh, Jessica's up in the back there. She goes to work out every day at 5 a.m. When I see her, I see her as a powerful woman. She's powerful. I'm not. That's power. When I see some of y'all who are successful in uh, your careers, I define you as a powerful person. Brian Adelman, who is our Irmo campus pastor. He's big. He's buff. uh, He's a strong looking dude. When I think of power, I think of him. But the reality is, is it's a tragedy when people who are powerful do not use their power to make a difference in the world. And when you don't define yourself as a powerful person, you take that power and you put it in your pocket and you live a life that's paralyzed versus actually utilizing that power. And there's different seasons of our life where we're using different parts of this power I'm trying to share with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 in about three minutes. So that's where we're going to really spend a lot of time. But, you know, when you're in the ages of 18 to 30, that's probably the one of the first seasons of your life when you start to use that power. You say, hey, I'm not going to college, or you say I'm going to college, or you say I'm going to enlist in the military, or you say I'm moving to California because I want to be a musician, or you say I'm dating this person, or I'm not dating this person, or I'm taking this drink, I'm snorting this thing. Like, you start making these decisions that utilize the radical power we have to make decisions. And one of the things in my life, my freshman year of college, I really came uh, confronted with the fact that I had power to choose my relationships. And as we wrap up our series, Strength in Numbers, I I just want to remind you that you have power to choose the relationships in your life. Strength in numbers. We are better together. And as a believer, as a person trying to make it through life, you should be intentional about how you curate the relationships in your life. And you can be a blessing to people, but if you're in a toxic community, it's probably time for you to use that power and say, I need to step out of it. My freshman year of college, I went to the University of South Carolina. Go, Gamecocks. I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I know you went to Clemson. That's fine. Whatever, whatever, Mitchums. I see y'all staring at me. Um, my freshman year, I went to school with a bunch of my friends, and I was really excited because I thought I had my crew, and we were going to have fun for four years. And I was in a dorm called Capstone. I walked 2 miles over to a dorm called Bates House and my friends lived there and I went up to the stairs and I was about to walk into the dorm room of one of my friends and I heard that they were talking about me through the door. And I just waited for a second and I heard the punchline of a joke which was me. And everyone was laughing and I didn't know what to do so I opened the door and everyone erupted in laughter because they were convinced That I hadn't heard what they actually said about me behind my back. And so I'm sitting in this room with people who are acting like they're my friends. And I remember the words of Dr. Maya Angelou when she said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I was like, dang, I don't think this is the community for me. And I remember making that walk back from Bates House to Capstone, being on a campus with 27,000 students, feeling completely alone because I knew I had to make a decision to get out of that community. What I didn't know is that low point of my life was the beginning of one of the greatest seasons of community I've ever had. It's changed my life. God started placing people in my life that helped me study. I became a better student because all my friends were straight A students. I heard one of my friends say, man, B's are below average. I was like, (laughs) what? I I never knew people talk like that. And I was like, I'm gonna hang out with you. Um, I had people who were working out. And so I went to the gym for the first time, and then when Bad things happened in my life. My community didn't run away. They got closer. My junior year, my mom had seven mini strokes over the course of a month, and my community dropped whatever they did. And irresponsible college students drove me down to go see my mom in Savannah, Georgia. I was discouraged with the fact that I was in school and I couldn't be at home. And one of my friends, somehow, I don't know how it happened. They got a Navy chaplain to go visit my mom. And for 10 years after that moment, when that chaplain interviewed my mom, my mom will always talk about, man, when your friend sent that chaplain, that really lifted my spirit. That was such a great time. I didn't know friends could do that. Um, They didn't believe in Jesus, by the way. And when they found out that I didn't drink, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. They're like, okay. So I'd go to parties and there'd be apple juice with Joel's name written on it. (laughs) They didn't believe what I believed, but they believed in me enough to support me with what I believed. What? I, I wrecked my car my junior year. And my friends at dinner that night worked out. How was Joel going to get to his internship, which was 15 miles away, and they worked out a schedule with whose cars I was going to borrow. God brought the right relationships in my life because I utilized the power of disconnecting from toxic ones. Something I heard last service. I didn't know this. Uh, I got a lady who went to my dad's church while I was in college she heard this part of the sermon and she said, hey, you don't know this, but I was praying for you your freshman year that God would bring the right friends in your life. I didn't know that until like about 10 minutes ago. And so (laughs) when I'm trying to remind you that there's bigger parts at play and your community that you choose in your life could change everything for you. So join a small group. We are in this series, Strength in Numbers, trying to do everything we can to convince you to join a small group. Why? Because when the foundation of your relationships is Christ, it's insane what God can do through it. When the foundation of your relationships is something bigger than yourself, something amazing that can happen. So please join a small group. You have power. You have power. Are you using it? Are you using it well? Today, I want to go through a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 8, where we see two men who couldn't be any more different, use their power to do something that I want to challenge you to do, which is this, get in position. God has given you power, and now he wants you to use it to make a difference in the earth, and the power you've been given Given by God, you may be sitting on, and I wanna challenge you to use it to get in position to make a difference. Let's look at Acts chapter 8 together. Acts chapter 8, Acts is the second book written by uh, Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke was writing this book to most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was deemed his boss, his master. Um, And he was trying to share with him all the things God did, because Theophilus became a follower of Christ. So Acts chapter eight, we're going to pick up in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So who's Philip? Philip is a follower of Christ. He's one of the many followers of Jesus who are following the disciples, the 12 disciples. So after Judas did his thing, they appointed Matt Matt, to be the 12th disciple. So these 12 disciples, they were leading the early church and they said, hey, we got to keep preaching and teaching the word and we need people to help us get some details done. One of them elected was Philip. Verse 27, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So who's this eunuch? So in Ethiopia, the king was deemed a deity, a God. Did not concern himself with the day-to-day runnings of the country. The queen was the one who ran the country. This Ethiopian unit worked for the queen. he was over all the money. So he's a powerful man. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. He's reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. He went all the way to Jerusalem to worship. This is crazy. He went from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. That's a thousand miles. He's on this crazy journey to see faith. There was something about his boss's husband that he didn't subscribe to. He's like, I know y'all think he's God, but this ain't it. So he travels all the way to Jerusalem, and he gets a book he's not supposed to have, the book of Isaiah the prophet. He's not supposed to have this scripture because this scripture's only for Jewish priests. But, you know, when you got money, you got some other things you can get, right? So this man had money, he had influence. He's like, I need that book. Y'all get it. So he's reading this book. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Something I want to remind you. This is the second time the Spirit of God led Philip to do something. But the Spirit of God hasn't told Philip to go talk to anyone specifically. He told him, go to that road. Then the Spirit tells him, go by that chariot. But Philip understood his assignment. He understood that whenever God put him in a place, it's always about people. He understood that if God was positioning him somewhere, it was for him to share the light of Jesus. How about you? Oh, you thought you got through grad school because you that smart? Oh, you think you got that job because of your resume? Maybe, just maybe, God positioned you there to be a light in a place where no one else could be a light. Maybe, but you can keep wondering about your purpose while thinking it doesn't have anything to do with people. I just don't feel fulfilled in my life. Well, who are you serving? Because the moment you step into the purpose of serving others, man, there's something that's fulfilling that happens Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man read Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is a passage of the scripture. The eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth In his humiliation. He was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Let's stop there. I love the honesty of the eunuch. The eunuch was about trying to get some wisdom. He wasn't hiding behind his pride, his position, his authority. He saw some dude that had some inkling of knowledge of what he was reading. He invited him in and he started asking him real questions. He's reading this prophecy of Isaiah the prophet, who hundreds of years before they're standing on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, predicted that Jesus would come to the earth and pay the price for our sins. This is what he's reading. And this guy's like, I don't get it. You know, there's still prophets that roam the land. Wednesday night at first Wednesday, we had a prophet Jim LaFoon come in, and he was prophesying over our church that there is a revival that's happening here at Seacoast. Do you know that you're in the middle of revival? Please look around the room right now at every location. Please look online with who's also joining you online. You think anything about this is normal? Absolutely not. God is on the move. Thank you. Thank you for being mildly excited about what God is doing in the earth. Thank you. Please come back at 1130. And I love. What Philip did. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. He met him right where his questions were and led him right to the cross. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So much in this passage of scripture. Philip leads this man to Jesus, and when this man hears the thing he's been looking for, he responds instantly. He's like, man, look, there's water. What stands in my way of being baptized? Why? Baptism was a Judean." Uh, a tradition of Judaism that was about conversion, and he went to Jerusalem, and he went to the temple, but because he's a Gentile, he only can go so far into the temple, and now he hears the gospel, and he's like, is there anything that stands in my way of being baptized? I want in on this thing right now. Some of y'all have been walking with Jesus for years, and you've never been baptized. September 18th, next Sunday, Isle of Palms, 6 o'clock. We're baptizing people. And maybe this is your season to step out and step forward in obedience with the good news of Jesus Christ and say, I'm going to get baptized. At each location, we will have baptisms. And so your campus pastor will tell you more details about that. If you're online and you're in Indonesia and you want someone to baptize you, I will come. I will come. (laughs) If my wife lets me. (laughs) Um, I love that. We also see this crazy part of scripture that after Philip's assignment was done, he's teleported out of there. And instead of the eunuch was like, this guy just disappeared in front of me. That's weird. He was so excited about receiving the truth. He didn't even skip a beat. He just kept on rejoicing. Because Philip never made it about him. And the gospel isn't about you. And when you talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not a used car salesman's pitch. It's a good news of what God has done. And it's about what he's done, and his goodness, grace, and mercy flowing through your life, and that's a powerful thing. And Philip understood his assignment, and the eunuch understood that too. And so when that man disappeared, he still kept on rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. If you read the whole chapter of Acts, you see that Philip keeps getting reassigned. He keeps getting new assignments, and once God starts moving, he puts them on the next assignment. And some of us say we want to be used by God until it starts feeling like we're being used. And then we're like, well, this isn't as fulfilling as I thought. But what Philip did was he kept his eyes focused on his purpose and God kept using them. I think that's such a powerful thing. And so today, for just a few moments, I want to talk to all the Philips in the room. These are. Men and women who, you know, Jesus is the Lord of your life. You identify primarily as a Christian. You believe that you're trying to walk the Christian life. I want to talk to all the Phillips in the room, but just as how at that day when the eunuch showed up at the synagogue to worship and he wasn't a full follower of Jesus, I know that there's people in this room today. You're on the journey of trying to find faith. So I want to speak to all the eunuchs in the room. Those of us who are searching for Christ. Those of us who are searching for hope. Your friends may think you're a Christian, but you know you're not. You identify yourself as a spiritual person, but you have not surrendered to Jesus. I got something for you through God's word today. And for all of us, the word is this. Get in position. Get in position. These two men were on these paths of trying to position themselves to hear from God, to follow him. And it's crazy that God didn't meet the eunuch in Jerusalem, but he met him on the way home because he saw his steps and he knew the right spot to meet him with. He knew he had to bring him near water because he was going to get baptized that day. God didn't make a mistake with where he met him. God knew that Philip was the right man to do it. Philip wasn't known as a good preacher until Acts chapter 8. At the end of Acts, we hear him called um, Philip the evangelist. But in that moment, God sent what was seemingly a junior man to do a senior level job. Why? Because he knew he could trust that man. He was faithful with the little details. So God kept using him for more. And so to all the Philips in the room, I got something to tell you. When God tells you where. Look for who? When God tells you where, look for who? If you really want to follow Jesus and you say, God, show me what to do. Show me where to go. He will always put you in certain spots. Job, home, family, friends. I got to go to Starbucks today. I I feel like I got to go here today. Uh, yesterday, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was real stressed out because I felt like I wanted to do some things and I hadn't figured it all out. So I'm, I'm walking in the church. No one's in the church on Saturday, but one lady. And she said, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? I'm struggling. And I realized that God told me to walk in a certain path to actually minister this person. And God will do the same for you. That's nothing about me being a pastor. It's about me trying to listen to God. But God is trying to position you. But when God tells you where, look for who? Do you really see your career, the schools, every area that you're in as an assignment by God to be his light? Or just you just trying to survive it all? Look for who? Second thing to all the Phillips in the room. There's always common ground at the cross. There's always Common ground at the cross. I was talking to a lady after the 830, and she was real concerned. She is a white female, and she's in a primarily African-American school. And she's like, I feel this tension. I don't know if I'm woke enough. I feel like I don't know what to call people, black people, African-American. I don't know what to do. I want my heart to share. I'm just so constrained. And I said, hey, guess what? If you share the love of Jesus with people in practical ways, all that stuff breaks down. All that stuff breaks down. Barriers are broken because of the love of Jesus Christ. There's always common ground at the cross. Philip, the eunuch, had nothing in common. God should have sent an executive, one of the big boys to meet with the eunuch. In our economy, in our knowledge, but guess what? There's always common ground for you because of Jesus Christ. Unlikely people you will get a connection with because of Jesus Christ. As sure as you know that someone needs food to sustain life, you know someone needs Jesus. And because of that, there's always common ground at the cross. To the Phillips in the room, tell the good news of Jesus Tell the good news of Jesus. Well, I don't know if they'll believe it. Tell the good news of Jesus. Well, in our culture today, you can get cancer. Tell the good news of Jesus. I was talking to a mom, and she was struggling with her daughter who's in college, and she's going crazy, going wild, all that stuff. And she said, I I don't know what to say. Can you pray? I said, hey, have you told your daughter your real testimony? And the mom was like, oh, no. (laughs) I have not told her my real testimony. And I said, well, what if your actual testimony of what Jesus has done in your life can be the one sermon that would change everything for your daughter? When my dad told me the real story of how God has saved his life from the messed up things he's done, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life today. I can't tell you it because it's not for you. It's for me. And when you actually start telling the testimony what Jesus has done for you, lives will be changed. Some of y'all bought a Peloton because your friend Caroline dropped some weight and you're like, hey, if she dropped it, I'm getting a Peloton too. Why? Because the testimony of life change is irrefutable. To eunuchs in the room, those of you who are searching for faith, I got three things for you. One is this. We've all been on a journey for what's missing. And sometimes when you're on the journey to find it, it feels like everyone around you has got it, but you don't. And I just want to let you know that even though the person sitting next to you showered today, their story of what Jesus has done in their life is simply incredible. And if he worked in their life, he can work in yours. We're all on this journey for what's missing. You're not alone. To the eunuchs in the room, those of you who are trying to figure out this faith thing, invite others into your search for understanding. The eunuch did not hide behind his chariot. He did not hide behind his position. He did not send for someone from Jerusalem to come meet him as he could have, but he positioned himself in a way to learn, even though it was inconvenient even though it was costly, because he knew that if he could answer the question of faith in God, everything in his life would change. And so invite others into your search for understanding. Well, how do I do that? Join a small group. Strengthen numbers. You don't have to do it by yourself. And once you start positioning yourself, God will send people your way. But invite others into your search for understanding. Actually ask the questions you're struggling with. Third thing for all the eunuchs in the room, let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you the good news. God saved my life at the age of six. He saved my life at such a young age because in 1952, two ladies from Indiana, the Mason twins, about five feet tall, but full of faith. These sisters said, let's go on a mission trip to Guyana and South America. And they knocked on the door of my grandfather's house and invited him to a revival. They invited him to a revival. And that night, my dad at the age of 14 gave his life to Jesus. And everything changed. Everything changed that night. He saw his dad for the first time not take a drink after work. He was a police officer. And then that one decision became months and years. And God healed my grandfather of generations of alcoholism. And because of what Jesus did to my grandfather, he healed that in my father. And he healed that in me. Some of the third generation Delft man that is actually sober because of Jesus, because of the cross. And I saw something at the age of six. That was real enough that I wanted to follow. And at the age of 12, I started following him for myself. And at the age of 18, I went to school and God covered over me. I didn't know I had ladies praying for me like I learned an hour ago. But God got me covered. And I want to let you know in the highest of my highs and the lowest of my lows, when I did things against God that I never thought I'd do, he was still with me. When I didn't know how I was going to bury my parents he provided for me. When I never thought I'd ever have kids, he blessed me. When I never thought I'd have boys, he heard my cries and gave me two. He should have just given me one. <laughs> God's walking with me, and guess what? There's nothing special about me. The same power that's in me can be in you. So if you want to receive Jesus, here's the gospel. It's really this simple. Your sin separates you from God. God is holy. He's perfect. He can't be with anything else than that. But in his infinite love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the price for your sins and my sins so we all could be free and walk hand in hand with our Heavenly Father and walk in the same power that we've been intended to walk in. You're a powerful person because of Jesus. And if you want freedom from your sins, it's offered to you right here, right now. So with every head bowed, every eye closed at all our locations, online, if you're driving, keep your eyes open. We ain't going to drive by faith today. But repeat this prayer after me. For the benefit of those who are coming to God in this moment, we're going to say it out loud to encourage them to know that they're not the only ones in here. When you're in this journey for faith, sometimes you feel like you're the last one to know. You're all alone. Let them feel the power of God's church in every location, knowing that they don't have to say this thing by themselves. Dear Jesus, I come to you, a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. So today, I surrender my sin and receive your freedom. Be with me, Lord. In Jesus' let me pray. Amen. Can we take a moment to celebrate people who've made a decision to follow Jesus? Right now we're transitioning into our time of response, where as a church, we take this practice seriously, where we give ourselves a moment to ask ourselves two questions. What is God saying to me? what do I do about it? Jesus, that chocolatey man said a whole bunch of stuff. What do I do with all that? Ask him. Ask him. I did my assignment. Now you got to go talk to him. And we respond in a number of ways. Uh, you can pray at your seat. You can stand as we worship in just a moment. You can go to the crosses and you nail a prayer request to the cross. Uh, last week, I was taking up some of the cross prayer requests. Really cool. One prayer request was this girl. Jesus, will you pray that I get a man? And right next to it was a dear Jesus, would you, would you help me find a girlfriend? And only thing I could think about was 10 a.m. At response time, this girl's crying and this dude who's 6'5". Excuse me, honey. Let me put my prayer request up there. <laughs> right. So when you go to the crosses, keep your eyes open, okay? <laughs> uh, oh, that's like my last sermon here at Seiko's. Uh, Receive communion. Communion is the way we remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the way we remember what Jesus has done for us. What is God saying to me? What do I do about it? Let's take some time to respond.